Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Pastor David was right. I married up big time. I think now that's obvious to everybody in the room. I love my wife, and it really is a privilege not only to pastor our three parents, our three beautiful kids, but, you know, some days it does feel like pastoring. Every now and then they need some pastoral care. Every now and then they need a little five-fold ministry. You know what I mean? On their little bums. No, but we have three kids, an uh, eight-year-old son named Isaiah, six-year-old daughter, soon to be seven next Saturday, named Remy, and then we have a little three-year-old spunky daughter named Rua, and not only is it a privilege to raise children with my beautiful bride, but also pastor our wonderful church that uh, Pastor David said Gracie is a part of, and of course, she is our favorite church member that we have, so... I just want you guys to know I cannot say that anywhere else except for Dwell Church here in Texas. But we love Gracie so much. And uh, I was just telling Pastors David and Nicole last night at dinner uh, that we're actually preparing to record a live album as well. And uh, Gracie's going to be featured on three of the songs. So I promise we're not stealing her. I promise she's allowed to come back whenever she wants. But I just want you guys to know that whether you know me yet or not, we are connected at the hip. I am your uh, son that you didn't know you had. I'm your strange, crazy, weird, prophetic, dreaming uncle that you didn't know you had. I'm, I mean, I'm one of them people, all right? So I just want you to pretend that you've known me for 10 years and just accept me tonight like a member of the family because I'm pulling up a... A chair at the table called Dwell Tonight, and I'm just going to behave like family. Is that okay? Is that okay? We're family already. We're family. Uh, I want to say to you, I know my wife had you all give a big round of applause for your pastors, but I want to honor them again, Pastors David and Nicole. Could we give it up for these amazing leaders? <laughs> stewarding this church, stewarding a move of God, pioneering a church plant for five years. Dwell Church. Come on, somebody. Could we give God praise for five faithful years as a local church? Come on. Think about everything you've been through together. You went through a global pandemic in 2020 together. Think about everything you've gone through together. Isn't God good? Isn't God faithful? Five faithful years. The number of grace. Has God not been extremely graceful towards this house? I know he has. I know he has, and there's no way it would have been possible without the service of so many. Uh, but, of course, we honor the sacrifice of your leaders, your pastors, uh, David and Nicole. I think the very first time I ever met David, uh, it was before, obviously, I met my wife, and we've been married for 10 years. We just celebrated our, our first decade married, y'all. And I, I, can, I can hear it right now. You're like, when would you get married, 16? It, people... <laughs> People have been telling us on this trip in Dallas, like we were shopping yesterday at a J. Crew, and uh, they said, well, how old are you guys? I said, well, guess, because I'm interested as to why you're asking. 
and, and they said, 25. I said, praise God. I, I, that's a lot of time in the glory, you know, just when you, get, when you tuck in in the presence, you know, there's no time or space there, so you don't age in the presence. You know, it's an anti-aging strategy, more prayer. But uh, I'll turn 40 next year, and we have three kids, and uh, it really is a privilege to be linked. The first time I met uh, Pastor David, I think he sprinted, jumped, and then just koala bared, hugged me. And, uh, and from that moment on, we were BFFs, and uh, it's my claim to fame. I get to say that I was the first, or at least among the first, to say Papa and Mama, David and Nicole Binion, uh, because they... They really are more than pastors, and I know that you guys know this because if you're a part of Dwell, you've experienced it, but they really are more than worship leaders. They are a father and a mother. You guys know that, don't you? I hope you know that. If you don't know that, perhaps you're new here, but I want to encourage you to stick around because you're going to experience something more than just church. You're going to experience kingdom family. We've, we've been saying this at Legacy since we got started. We're not just a ministry, we are a family. And uh, that's a declaration that we've been making, and I want to invite you to steal that. And uh, the only reason we made that declaration was because the Holy Spirit told us to. There were moments where I refused to make that declaration in the flesh, but in the Spirit I continued to make the declaration, we are more than a church, we are not just a ministry, we are a, a family, right? And uh, I told the Lord one time, I said, God, I'm tired of declaring this. Because when I say family, everybody hears a different definition based upon their own experience. But how many of you guys know God can adopt you into a kingdom family and upgrade whatever family experience that you had growing up? Because that's what the church is supposed to be. It's not a brand. It's not a nonprofit. It's not a 501c3, it is a covenant community. It wasn't started in a conference, but it was initiated in a covenant. Amen? So you're not just a minister, you're a family. I remember telling the Lord, I'm not making this declaration anymore. I'm going to make some better declarations. You ever done that before with the Holy Spirit where you're like, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I want rather than obey what you're telling me to do? I said, I'm going to start declaring everybody tithes. I'm tired of declaring family. I'm going to start declaring everybody wants to serve in kids. Nobody misses a Sunday. Everybody invites a friend. You know what I'm talking about? That's a pastor's declaration right there. And the Holy Spirit was like, no, 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 no. You know, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Amen? And uh, so he told me, keep making this declaration. And it was wild because people would approach me and say, uh... Pastor Lyle, uh, they didn't call me pastor back then. They just, they thought I was 15. Uh, people think I'm 25 now. They thought I was 15 then. And they were like, this ain't no family. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you haven't invited me over to play catch in the backyard. <laughs> what? You know? And because I was recognizing that people were approaching the church with an expectation as they heard us declare family, that their experience in church would resemble their experience in their house, right? And so they were, uh, you know, equating what they had done with their father uh, to what they wanted to do with me as their pastor. And I said, well, you know, I think maybe you got the wrong idea. But then there were others who would come up and say, I hate this church. And they, they pretty much did say that. 
Because you guys are saying family and I hate family and I was abused in my family and I was, I was neglected in my family and I was manipulated in my family. I want to be a part of a church. I don't want to be a part of a family. So we realized by declaring family, everybody in the room was uniquely hearing something different in that declaration. So we asked the Holy Spirit, would you give us your definition of what family is? And here's what God told us. He said, family is where you're loved into your purpose. Family is where you're loved into your purpose. You're loved unconditionally. You can come as you are. I know sometimes the church says that, come as you are, but what we mean is come as we are. Yeah, but see, that's not family because it's unconditional love. You can come however you are. I don't care what you were doing last night. I don't care what you were doing this morning. I don't care what you did last month, last year, last summer. Doesn't matter. No matter what you did, you are welcome as part of this kingdom family. And although you're welcomed unconditionally, we're not going to allow you to stay the same as you are upon arrival. Because God has a destiny for your life, meaning he has a destination that he wants to bring you into by his faithfulness and his goodness. And we're going to serve you and help you and guide you and shepherd you and propel you towards that good future that God has for you. So though you may have come one way, you can't stay the same way. You're a part of a kingdom family now. And I I really, I, I mean, for me being with you guys, I bear witness to that when I'm in your atmosphere. This is a family. This is a kingdom family. This is not just a brand. This is not just a ministry. But this is a kingdom family that gathers not around the man of God, but gathers around the word of God who is Jesus. And I I feel that every time I'm in here. And that's why I want to, you know, really just take a moment and and honor your leaders. I know it's kind of a long intro, but I I got this picture of you, Papa David, in the spirit when we were praying. And and you were very old. (laughs) And uh, you, were, you were just, you were in an impartation line. But it was like a, a, a backwards uh, fire tunnel. You know how people like, they come through. But you were going to them. And you were laying hands. You were laying hands. And people were falling out. Uh, people were just falling out left and right. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and revealed to me that there is a gift of impartation that is upon your life. And as you age, the wineskin will expand. And you're going to carry so much power as you age into fathering a generation of priests. And God's given you this ministry of impartation that as you lay hands on the younger priest of the next generation, uh, that through that wineskin, fresh wine would come and power would come. Power from on high would come. And, and it, it's just going to drench people and they're going to walk in it. And I, I, I saw that. And I just, I thought, wow, this is, this is a family. It, it's not just a ministry. It's a, it's a family. And I, I really believe that about you guys. You're a family. So if you don't know the person next to you, now's a great time to look over at them. And, uh, you know, if, if they're female, say, what's up, sis? And if they're a male, you say, what's up, bro? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Try it out. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's up, bro? It's good to be with you. So, yeah, so now we've established we're family. So now, um, you know, I can just be family with y'all. Is that okay? Awesome, awesome. Well, I have a message tonight. Um, I don't have a sermon. Uh, I got a message. Um, I'm in a weird season. Uh, It's prophetic. And uh, it's weird. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. 
it's weird. It's very weird for me. Uh, because there's been seasons in my life where I feel like the prophetic has flowed uh, in different ways. And for the most part, it's always been for individual people. But as of late, I feel that the Holy Spirit has been giving me messages, not sermons, but messages for, for groups of people, uh, for church subcultures, as weird as that sounds. Uh, and tonight, I feel like the message that God gave me is a message that Dwell is called to carry uh, to a large chunk of the church that carries what you guys carry. And so I don't want you to look around and say, oh, well, I don't, you know, there's a three or four seats between. You don't even see in the spirit what you're carrying for the kingdom in this ministry. I, I, you can't see it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. It's kind of one of those type deals. All right. So like what you guys are doing is very, very important in the kingdom. And even if you're overlooking it right now and you don't recognize its significance, I believe that God sent me here tonight to give you a message and tell you that what you're carrying for the kingdom at large, not just McKinney, I mean, we're contending for McKinney, but what you're carrying for the kingdom at large is significant. It's significant, and it's significant for the next generation, and for the next generation, and for the next generation. So... I don't know if you're impressed yet by what God is doing amongst this kingdom family, but I want you to be. I want you to get way more encouraged than you might be this evening because what God is doing in your midst is so much bigger than you can see with the natural eye. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I am, I'm just, it's, I want to say like, buckle up. I, I mean, we're in Dallas. I'm going to go Bishop Jakes. Get ready, get ready, get ready. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just want to give you one of them because... What you are about to embark upon, you, God is going to blow your mind. I'm telling you, God is going to blow your mind. I remind my church all the time. I tell them, whatever awesome thing God has done in your past, be prepared because he has plans to outdo himself. My Bible teaches me that I go from glory to glory to glory to glory. He promised that that of the latter house would be greater than that of the former. So no matter what awesome thing you've seen God do before in his own house, what he has prepared for your future dwell will be more awesome than anything you've ever witnessed before. I don't care what revival you went to. I don't care what pastor you went and heard preach. I don't care what worship leader you saw lead worship. What God is going to do in your midst in the days to come is going to be so much greater than anything you've ever seen the Spirit do in your past. If you receive it, just say, I receive it. If you agree with it, just say, amen. Let it be, Lord. So, so I've, been, I've, been in this, I've been in this weird season where I feel like the Lord is like giving me these like strong messages and it's, it's kind of strange. And so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm going to go to Psalm 24 tonight. So if, if you want to open in your Bible to, 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 to Psalm 24, I want to invite you to do that with me. And you can kind of throw your thumb in it. We'll get to it here in a second. Um, and I, I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's not super duper long, Psalm 24. You guys like Psalm 24? Ten verses of scripture. My wife told me this week when I told her I was studying Psalm 24. She said, oh, we used to sing songs as kids uh, from Psalm 24. And I would always cry because it just felt so real and tangible to me when I heard Psalm 24. And so 
Psalm 24 is a very special psalm, and we'll, we'll get there in, in, in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you about an experience that I had recently. Now, being in Nashville, we're, we're in a city kind of similar to Dallas, I think, because we, I like to say we are a city that has been set upon a hill. And I really believe Dallas is very similar, right? Like, our cities have captured the globe's attention. I mean, there is a lot of media, music, entertainment that comes out of our cities that reaches the world. So in our city, we have a lot of musicians. I mean, after all, your pastors are recording a live album in our city, right? So I don't know if you know this or not, but 90% of the world's Christian publication goes through Nashville. I don't know if you know that or not. And so pastoring in Nashville, we have this unique opportunity to pastor all of these musicians, all of these prophetic personalities, all right? Like, all, oh yeah, it gets, it gets good. It's good, right? Uh, we, we get to pastor artists, right? And we get to pastor people who uh, at times become pretty influential, you know, they win Grammys, they get nominations, they go to award shows, they walk red carpets. And um, some of these folks, at least for some season of time, had referred to me as their pastor, all right? And uh, I always tell them, I'm not really your pastor until I tell you no. The first time I tell you no is when I become your pastor. So if I haven't told you no yet, just hang tight. We're going to see how called you are. <laughs> You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm, I'm having a conversation with uh, a friend. And uh, this person is a pretty well-known worship artist. Uh, and the discussion that we were having was pretty relaxed, pretty jovial, not super serious. But I just felt led to have what I call a courageous conversation with them. Anybody know what a courageous conversation is? It's just a brief, friendly confrontation. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to have a courageous conversation because I had been hearing some troubling stories about their behavior and some compromising choices that I had heard that they had been making and so I thought that it was important that I attempt to pastor them because they were leading large crowds of people into worship every single weekend so I'm like okay I think I might need to share some concerns with them but Interestingly, their response seemed to have so much more to do with optics than it did obedience. And uh, though they didn't say this, they implied, well, as long as people are coming to the event, then my behavior is acceptable. As long as people are streaming the songs, as long as people are buying the tickets, as long as people are engaging with the music, then I'm fine. And so I said to them, well, do you want to be a worship leader or do you want to be a music artist? And it broke my heart how they responded because they said, um, is there really any difference? And the reason that hurt my heart was because, one, they're a friend, uh, and also, too, because of the state of our current church culture, because I believe that their response is indicative of how many people see Christian worship in America today. Uh, a lot of people see Christian worship as a musical genre to be encouraged by, 
kind of like positive thought music. But that's not what it is at all. So my response to them was, oh, you don't see a difference in being a worship leader and a music artist? Well, I got to tell you, I see a drastic difference between the two because as an artist, the only standards that you must live by are the standards that you create for yourself. But as a worship leader, you don't get to create standards for your lifestyle. You get to receive standards from God through the scripture for how you are to live. An artist then may live however they please to live. But a priest lives according to a protocol. Somebody say protocol. A priest lives according to to a protocol and that's kind of what I want to talk about through Psalm 24 for a moment is a priestly protocol I want to talk about a priestly protocol you know in 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 the Old Testament whenever a priest was consecrated to serve God as a minister aka a worship leader they received a protocol as to how they were supposed to worship Notice that the priest in the Old Testament had no authority to determine how they wanted to worship God. They didn't get to show up at temple and be like, well, I feel like I'm going to do this today. I feel like I ain't going to make no sacrifices. I feel like I'm going to make the sacrifices that I want to. Come on, we know how that, ha- how that turned out for a few folks who decided that they were going to break protocol and just do whatever they wanted to do as priests. We know that didn't work out very well for them because it was never up to them because God had designed and provided a protocol for the priest to live out. And as priests of the New Testament, which we all are, look at your neighbor and say, that's you. Yeah, yeah, 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, but you are a chosen race. Remember that because that actually connects back to Psalm 24. You'll see it in a moment. A royal, what is it? Priesthood. Everybody say, I am am. a priest. priest. You know what that means? You're called to full-time ministry. Now, I didn't say full-time vocational ministry. I didn't say you were called everybody to receive a paycheck from the church. We know that's not possible. But you are called to be ministering to him and them full-time. If you are a Christian, you are in full-time ministry. If you are a Christian, you are a priest. He says we are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, which is what he referred to the priesthood as, so that you might proclaim, that's another word for preaching and declaring, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That'll preach right there. That's so good. So as priest of the New Testament... Does God get rid of all the protocol? No. There's still protocol. We don't get to worship God however we feel like it and then tell him, well, just accept it because it's what I've determined to bring you today. No, no, no. There's still protocol. Surely God invites our feelings into worship, of course. God doesn't mind our emotions. I think we can worship with our emotions, and he enjoys that. Uh, But worship was not serious in the Old Testament and unserious in the New Testament. Not super serious then, but hey, praise God, we can do whatever we want now. 
Come on, church, do we really believe that? We don't really believe that, do we? No, absolutely not. There's still a priestly protocol. And so one such passage that I believe is often overlooked for priestly protocol is the one that we're going to read tonight, which is Psalm 24. It's not oppressive, all right? Don't think of it as rigid rules, uh, but it does help us, show us how to operate before God as we approach Him because there's still a priestly protocol. So are you in Psalm 24? All right, let's read it out loud all together in concert. I know this is a singing church because you got amazing singing pastors. All right, so let's sing it. Uh, well, no, you don't have to sing it, but the earth is the Lord's. You don't want me singing. Listen, I, I can't sing at all, but I can worship uh, because um, I know this, that a joyful noise does not need to be auto-tuned. Right? And he didn't even say it was a joyful melody. He just said it was a noise. So if I do it with joy, I can say whatever I want. I'm the reason why David said, call for the skilled musicians. There was some guy like me that was in the temple and he had volunteered and he somehow got a mic. David said, let's call for the skilled musicians. <laughs> I think we can do better. <laughs> All right, y'all ready? Okay, the earth. Yep. How much? Okay, so how much, how much is left for Satan? Uh-uh, none. But how often do we believe that there are nations that are in the possession of our enemy? And we believe that our job is to go in as warriors and fight hell for nations. But that's not how nations or cities are taken. Psalm chapter 2 verse 8 said, Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. That means nations or cities are given to sons, not warriors. They come to us as an inheritance, not as a trophy. The earth is the Lord's and the... That means no matter where you go, God already owns that piece of dirt. No matter how dark somebody else said it is there. No matter how scary that neighborhood might feel. You just know as a son, my dad owns this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world, all oh, the whole world. And that sounds like everybody. Everybody, right? That's all the peoples belong to God. He created them. He's in charge. For he has... Upon and at. Well, it makes sense then that they all belong to him because he created them all. He established it all. He founded it all. Therefore, he owns it all. Right? Now, if you only read verse 1 and 2, how impressed by God would you be? Whoa. The earth is the Lord's. You mean to tell me every possible place that I could ever go in my life you own it and all the people who live here you're in charge of them and when you decided in your heart to create everything and everybody you did it your way in your time and you established it and you founded it wow I mean, if all you were able to read today was Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2, you would be so impressed by your God. That's my God, creator of heaven and earth, 
King of kings, Lord of lords, ruler of the universe. He is in charge of every nation, of every government, of every city, of every person, all of creation. He's in charge of it. I mean, that, your God is pretty big. Would you agree? And so knowing that God is so big and so holy and so mighty, it makes sense for David to start asking questions in verse 3. Who? You can see David looking around. We just, I mean, God is, God's big. He owns everything. Who could, who? Not you. Not you. Not you. You know what I'm saying? He, he looks over at a guy, you know, playing bass. Not you, bro. Not me. Right? Uh, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall in his now we get a revelation of who's allowed to go up the hill and stand in the holy place I almost titled this message on a hill in a holy place on a hill where's God on a hill in a holy place now, you better count the cost before you start ascending a hill. Some translations call this a mountain. You better count the cost before you determine to summit a mountain because if you start climbing a mountain without making certain preparations, you will not make it to the top. In fact, you might die on your way up. If you don't do all the training necessary to make sure your oxygen levels are at a certain place. If you don't pack enough nutrition, the right nutrition, enough water. Go ahead, try to summit Everest and tell me how that works out for you without adequate preparation. It's not going to go very well. David understood, man, ascending is not easy. And then once you get up there... Who's going to stand? <laughs> Who's going to be able to stand? You're not going to be able to stand. I mean, you might, get, you might get up there. You might get up there, but you're not going to be able to stand. There's no way. There's no way you can stand. You're going to fall on your face like a dead man because it's a holy place. Right? I mean, he's like, who can stand? I mean, we ain't even got nobody that can ascend. Who can stand? I can't stand. You think you can stand? Anybody in here think you can? We just talked about how big God is. Who, who's getting? Nope. Nobody can stand, right? But then again, David has a spirit of revelation uh, that begins to speak through him in verse 4. And he says, here's who can ascend and here's who can stand. He who has and a who does not to what is and does not deceitfully. He will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now David is having some real revelation here about what is available to all of us under the new covenant, which is the righteousness of Christ. He said, if you can ever get up there and you could ever stand there, if you had prepared properly, God would reward you 
and give you righteousness. Now, we, we, we know this is a messianic psalm. This is written about our King Jesus. And he says in verse 6, get this. He looks around and he says, such is. Now, now, whenever you read generation, I don't want you to think about just a particular time. I want you to think about a particular race. What did 1 Peter 2 and 9 say? But you are a chosen. You are a chosen. Such is the. Yeah, see, it's about those who belong to whom he calls Jacob here, which Jacob is Esau I have hated, Jacob I have, I have loved, I have chosen. So what is the generation of Jacob? The generation of Jacob is anybody that God has chosen. How many chosen people I got in the room tonight? Oh, you're chosen. You're chosen. You know what guarantees that you are chosen? If you say, God, I'm seeking. Such is the generation of those who... See, this qualifies you to be a part of the priesthood. You say, I'm searching. I'm going to ascend the hill. I don't know know exactly how I'm going to get up there. But but I I know know God wants me up there. God's big. He's in charge. I don't know when I get up there how I'm going to stand in that holy place, but I know he wants me up there. I know he's inviting me up. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Verse 7. Now, get this. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? You see, he's asking more questions because he is looking for the Messiah. Who is he? We've heard him. It's prophesied about him. Who is the king of glory? Well, I'll tell you who he is. The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So the, the real title of the message is Priestly Protocol. And I'm going to go quick because I know you guys get kids at seven. So I'm going to go as fast as I possibly can. But like I said, I got a message. And I got so many pages. I'm not going to get through them. Priestly protocol. Now, I did a little research according to the ancient Jewish text called the Talmud, if you've ever heard of that before. Uh, Psalm 24, believe it or not, was actually one of the primary songs that Sunday worship opened with. Every Sunday. Can you imagine this? You hear the same song every single Sunday as the opener of the worship set for most of your life. How many of you would be like, okay, we got it. Great. Great. Why are we playing this, right? It, it, does David have like the CCLI license? He's, is he trying to get, what's going on here? We're singing this over and over and over, but you know what I believe this speaks to? Protocol. Because Psalm 24 was sung first 
in the sequence of corporate worship almost every single Sunday. Why is that? Because the priest had discerned that David's song, his psalm, it brought glory to God in a way that he enjoyed and it prepared the people of God to enter into God's presence rightly with protocol. Why? Because you can chop Psalm 24 into thirds. One, two, three. We're going to first get a revelation of who God is. God is big. God is awesome. God is mighty. God is creator. And then we're going to talk about what is required of us so that we can be purified and present ourselves before him as acceptable sacrifices like we sang about tonight. And then we can shout with joy knowing who our God is. He is the king of glory. He is the king of of glory he is the king of glory see there's protocol that is happening here and not only was psalm 24 one of the first songs that was often sang in the worship set on sundays but it's also historically accepted that david wrote the psalm for his son solomon so that it could be sung as the first song of worship at the dedication of the temple now what's crazy about that, not a coincidence at all, but just as David wrote the song for his son Solomon, God wrote the song through David for his son Jesus. As the psalm is ultimately a foreshadowing of the Messiah, we know that. Who is this king of glory? Jesus. Woo! Jesus. So every single week, isn't it just like God? You got all of the Jewish people. Who is this king of glory? Can you imagine Jesus showing up? Who is the king of glory? Why did they sing it every single Sunday? Because they were waiting for him. When he shows up, hi, I am the king of glory. I'm the one that you've sang about every single Sunday for your whole life. I'm the one that David wrote about whenever he wrote this song for his son Solomon as a consecration song for the dedication of the temple. I am him. Once more, we are seeing protocol here. David was inspired by the Spirit to create the first sequence for entering into God's presence in God's house for the first time. We are seeing protocol. But I think what Psalm 24 reveals to us is how that we can come before the Lord. Now, obviously, thank you, Jesus, that Jesus accomplished so much for us through the cross that we have access by his blood to the Father. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But we still must prepare. We still must practice protocol as priest of the New Testament. Now, what I want you to notice in verse 1 and 2 is that whenever we read, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the, the rivers. If a worship leader is singing this song, I want you to recognize what they are doing. They are redirecting the attention of the congregation to God. So a priestly protocol, therefore, how to practice a priestly protocol, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one is this, all attention goes to God first. If you're going to be a New Testament priest, all attention must go to God first. When our goal is to entertain people, like my conversation with my friend, then the attention will first go to people. 
Rather than recognize God as our central focus, entertainment, not worship, recognize as people, places, and things first. The initial focus then goes to the artist, the atmosphere, and the experience. But priestly protocol requires that all attention goes to God first. All attention. We can involve humans at a later stage, but not first. Because if you think about it, when entering into worship, humans almost always distract. They do. Therefore, the first job of the priest that is leading worship is to redirect the attention of the congregation. That's your first job. If you're a worship leader, and your pastors do this so well, your first job is to redirect the attention of the entire congregation. Hi. Welcome to dwell. Don't look at me. Let me redirect the attention of the entire congregation to God. A quick way to spot the difference in priestly worship and artistic entertainment is to watch where the attention goes when the set starts. Because a priest points where an entertainer absorbs. I'm in the limelight. I absorb when I'm doing entertainment. But when I'm a priest, I point. There's where your attention goes. We've got to be priests that point. So if anybody in here tonight were to become a well-known worship leader, guess what's going to happen? People will come and they will watch you lead worship. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that because people will want to be a part of your ministry. But your first job when you lead worship would be to redirect the attention of the entire congregation from you to him. That's priestly protocol. And now an accusation that I often hear about worship leaders is they just want to be seen. They just want attention. To which I would respond, so do you. And you know what I would follow it up with? And so do I. And so do I. Because if we're all honest, we all have an innate desire to be seen. And you know what, Dwell Church? God put that there. All of us want to be seen. Do you want to be seen is actually a bad question. We all want to be seen because God designed us to be seen, to be recognized, to be acknowledged, to be honored, to be identitied. There is no need to repent of your desire to be seen. Somebody's getting free right now. I know it's quiet in here, but right now somebody's getting free because you have been repenting of your desire to be seen. You cannot repent of a desire that God put in your heart. You are supposed to be seen. All right? If you are an anointed, effective priest, you will probably receive attention from people. And the most important question I have for you is this. Will you redirect the attention? There's no need to repent of your desire to be seen, but a better question would be, who do you want to be seen by and why? So to be clear, I am not preaching anti-fame for worship leaders or people in ministry. Some priest will become well-known. My concern, here's the message, 
My concern is that we could currently be platforming entertainers that absorb attention that solely belongs to God. Rather than receiving scripturally qualified priests and prophets that point all of the congregation's attention to the only one that it truly belongs to in the first place, which is God, the King of glory. We have a ministry school. We have 60 kids in our ministry school. Sometimes young people come up to me and they say, Pastor Lyle, I'm called to be famous. And you know what? It could be true. It could be true. God made some of his followers famous in the Bible. He did. He literally told Abraham, I am going to make your name famous. God called some of his followers to be famous in the Bible. But I've not found an instance yet of it happening as a result of them telling God that they wanted to be famous. <laughs> haven't found it. Might be in there, but I have not found it. They pursued God and they allowed God to determine their metron of influence. <laughs> so I think if we're going to turn around some of our current cultural problems in the church in America, we're going to have to care less about being famous and care more about being fruitful. More about being fruitful. So when young people tell me this, I've started asking. Okay, so when you get famous and you get all of this attention, how much of that attention will you be willing to redirect to God? Because an honest answer to that question will reveal how much of your desire to be famous is sanctified. Did you catch that? I'm called to be famous. Okay, so when you get all this attention, will you redirect it to God? Because whatever your honest answer is to that question will reveal how much of your desire to be a famous Christian is sanctified. Ooh, I know I'm approaching seven, but you, you guys are quiet. You sure? Okay, because, because a... Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You're pointing, you're pointing, you're pointing, you're pointing. Uh, because, I, I know you already got this, so I don't need to mention this part, but because a hidden desire to hold anything back from God while simultaneously stating, it's all for Him, wow. is the spirit that took Ananias and Sapphira out. Some of us are so hungry for fame that we would have it. But God in his kindness prevents it. Because he knows if we had it. <laughs> we'd keep some of it for ourselves. And bury it under our tents. Thereby setting ourselves up to receive judgment. And I've been there. I've been on prayer walks. I'm like, I'm sick of this. I'm not famous. And I'm tired of it. You made that guy famous. He's not even nice. I went to his church and he was mean. How is he famous? <laughs> I, I probably told you this before, but I watched my parents' generation wrestle with this doctrine of demons called the, pop, the, 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 the uh, prosperity gospel. Right? It basically said that uh, you are as anointed as you are wealthy. 
or are, you are as valued as you are rich. So our generation, we don't wrestle with the prosperity gospel. We've moved on to a different doctrine of demons, and it's called the popularity gospel. And we wrestle with this, where we have bought into the lie that you are only as anointed as you are influential, and you are only as valuable as you are famous. So we've got people, young people, called into ministry that disqualify themselves before they ever get started because their TikTok account is not big enough. Am I lying? If I'm lying, I'm flying. In Acts 3, the very first miracle of the early church, Peter sees the lame man at the gate called Beautiful, and what does he say? Look at us. I want you to notice, if you look at it, Acts chapter 3, the very first thing that, the, that Peter says to the lame man at the gate called Beautiful is, look at us. Right? He, he's literally pursuing the man's attention. But shortly after, just a few verses later, if you scroll up, when the crowd begins to pay attention to Peter, he says, why do you look at us? The apostle sought man's attention so that he could serve him. Peter reveals to us why we should, if at all, seek any attention from men. And that is to redirect their attention to God. Peter was practicing a priestly protocol. So that's my first point. I got to speed up. All right. These will be fast. These will be fast. I promise. Uh, verse 3 and 4. We'll be quick and then we'll pray. Verse 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has and a who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. You know what that means? Number two, priestly protocol. We go to God on his terms. I don't get, uh, you know, we don't get to make church up. If I see another pastor with, I'm reimagining church in his bio, I'm blocking him. <laughs> Blocked. Who gave you permission <laughs> to reimagine church? You don't get to make church up. You just get to receive church. <laughs> right? It's like I'm just, I got this here. And I say, okay, I got a blueprint. And I got to build according to the blueprint. I'm not the architect. I'm the contractor. And here's what I've noticed. The more I preach the Bible, the more boldly I preach. The more I preach my opinion, the more fearful I preach. Because I'm afraid that somebody's going to argue with my perspective. But if they want to argue with the Word of God, they can take that up between them and Him. And I can say, hey, I don't write them. I just read them. I'm the postman, baby. I'm just bringing you the letters. Don't be mad at me. Don't shoot the messenger. We go to God on his terms. God wants everybody to come to him. That's very clear right here. He wants everybody, and we know that from the New Testament scripture as well. He invites us all to approach him in his presence, but he has terms. There is a priestly protocol. Now, God may sneak up on you, but you will not sneak up on God. <laughs> Ain't nobody sneaking up on God. 
uh, there's no barging in on God because there's protocol. Now, I was an Irish global missionary with Heidi and Roland Baker for a number of years, and I learned this from Papa Roland Baker, and Irish global's first core value is this. We understand that we can find God, and, and we can experience intimacy, communication, and companionship with Him in His presence, get this, if we share His love for righteousness. You know how many people were so irate whenever He put that last part in there? They said, you got to delete that. If... Oh, no, 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 no. If we share his love for righteousness. And that's why David's song is asking these two questions. Who shall ascend and who shall stand? Because what is implied here is that whomever is able to go confidently before God is not an easy person to identify. Is it you? No, 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 no. I know what you did last week. Nope. Bass player, not you. I'm picking on the bass player. It's just, it's just it's a little funny illustration here. Um, and it ain't me. Right? David does not assume that anyone lifts their hand when he asks these questions in his psalm. Now, we, of course, we now know that Jesus is the one that David is searching for. We now live in a new covenant which means that we are allowed to approach him, but that does not mean that we are allowed to lose the fear of the Lord. And Psalm 24 is saturated with the fear of the Lord. But by contrast, our current prevailing church culture is not. I hate to say that, but I believe that's the case. And rather than revere God's presence, we've become entitled to it. Expecting that we can casually waltz in to it without any preparations being made. But there's a protocol. Ascending his work and standing in holy places requires obedience. So here are God's terms, and I'm done. Four things. I got so much more, but we're not going to get to it tonight. It's going to be part two next time when I come back. Here's God's terms. All right, number one is clean, clean hands. Number two is pure heart. Number three is no idolatry. Oh. Well, I don't have any statues in my house, you know. Yeah, but an idol is anything you have to check with before you say yes to God. And the, the last part is um, you don't lie. Oh, that's a little interesting thing just to pin the tail on the donkey there, isn't it? Just like right there at the end. And you don't lie. Hold on, you mean to tell me that I can't talk however I want and get into God's presence? Well, I'm just reading it. He said, and you don't lie. Now, having clean hands, that part, is about doing righteous acts as well as not mishandling holy things. Now, um, a lot of scholars believe that David wrote this whenever he went to buy the property uh, when he said, uh, I'm not going to offer up to the Lord that which cost me nothing. They think that, you know, this is a very sacrificial psalm. That's what David had on his heart whenever he wrote it. But David had also just witnessed Uzzah touched it, mishandling holy things. You're mishandling holy things. Therefore, are you a priest or are you just an entertainer? Because you see what I'm saying? You're mishandling holy things. David had watched Uzzah 
put out his hand and he said, oh no, that's not clean hands. Clean hands are symbols of innocence. Innocence. Having a pure heart is about having holy motives. Right, Psalm 51 and 10 said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Proverbs 16, 2 said, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And God says, I want a pure heart, and I want holy motives. And he said, I don't want you worshiping idols. That's about not tolerating falsehoods in our lives. And what I mean by falsehoods is no false idols for worship and no false doctrines for study. Nope, I don't tolerate any falsehoods. So we've got to choose not to give ourselves to anything false. And then the last one is not lying or swearing deceitfully is about having honest lips. Proverbs 12 and 22 said, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. So these must become priests. Everybody say, I'm a priest. These must become the priorities of the priest of Dwell Church. As we say, listen, this is who I am. I'm not here to absorb attention. I'm here to redirect attention. My goal is to minister to Him and them. That's my goal. I'm a priest. I'm in full-time ministry. And I'm going to him. And I'm going to him with clean hands. I'm not mishandling holy things. Uh, I'm not engaging in sinful acts. I've got a pure heart. I'm asking the Lord, God, renew a right spirit within me. Give me pure motives. I'm also not engaging idolatry when all of my desires have to get in a line. Jesus is first. And then lastly, I'm also not lying with my lips and I'm paying attention to how I talk and if we'll do that God will declare us to be priests that honor protocol that are deserving of a blessing Lord I want a blessing and the blessing that God has reserved for you church is called righteousness now that's a fancy word called holiness God wants to give you a gift of his holiness and if you'll receive that you will experience more power than you ever thought would be possible in your life in ministry we know that it was by the power of holiness Romans teaches us that Christ was resurrected from the dead I think it's one of the reasons why we don't see more dead raisings is because we don't have a greater passion for holiness. We got plenty of value for entertainment. We love positive thought. We love an encouraging genre of music. But do we love God, the creator of everything, who founded it? Upon the seas, established it upon the rivers. Wow. You're huge. You're mighty. You're awesome. So I come before you because I want to ascend the hill of the Lord and I'm making every preparation. I'm asking you, God, purify my hands. Clean up my heart. Don't let any idols get between me and you. And cover my lips. I want to be like Isaiah. I want you to take a coal from the altar. I want you to touch my lips. It's amazing what happens every time a prophet gets in front of God. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. 
right? He's like, hey, like if you want to gauge the evil of the community that I live in, just listen to how they talk. He said, I don't want to be like that. Take the coal, cleanse my lips. I want to speak rightly because I want to receive righteousness. I want to be holy before the Lord. And you told me, God, that I am called. You've called me to be holy as you are holy. It's not anything that I can do in my own strength. I need you to touch me and make me holy. And here's what happens when all of that goes down. We receive a revelation of our victory. Who is this King of glory? The King, the Lord, strong and mighty. That's a victory song right there. The Lord, mighty in battle. You see, this is what happened. This is the byproduct of righteousness. You start to get a revelation. I ain't the tail. I'm the head. I'm a part of a generation. I'm a part of a priesthood. I'm a part of a powerhouse group of people called Dwell Church. And we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Who is this King of glory? Oh, you can hear it. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. Strong and mighty in battle. I can't lose. Doesn't matter what hell brings against me. I can't lose. Because he is the king of glory and he's strong and mighty. Strong, strong, mighty in battle. See, you get this unlocked revelation of the victorious overcoming power of the king of glory who is the Messiah, King Jesus. And now you know why they worshiped every single Sunday by reminding themselves, who is this king of glory? Now we know. They sought after him for centuries, but you know. Will we be satisfied with entertainment? No way. Who is this king of glory? We can see amazing people leading worship. Like, man, you're great. There's the king of glory. You never have to worry about being impressed by people's gifts when you catch a glimpse of the king of glory strong and mighty in battle strong and mighty in battle and you start singing that and then there's this thing that just starts to stir in your spirit where you start to rearrange your thought life and you say I can't think like I used to think my dad is the creator of all of this and he said himself that everywhere I put my foot already belongs to him because he made it. And everybody that I interact with, he's in charge of. I know the king of glory. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.